Hello, beloved children of God. I'm Grace Seaman, and you're listening to Catholic in College, a podcast to encourage college students that we're not alone in practicing our faith, even in the midst of a secular college culture. Today, I'm talking to Max Chapman, focused missionary at UNL for the past six years. We're discussing evangelization and practical steps to live it out as college students. I asked Max questions based on my own struggles with evangelization, along with what I've heard from other students. He talked about this topic with such joy and many a Bible verse, so let's learn how we can share that joy with others. All right, Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I wanted to take this opportunity, first of all, to compliment you on how adorable your children are. Thank you. (laughs) And they have such cool names, um, Evangeline, Pierce, and then you have a newborn. Yes, Kyria. Kyria, oh my gosh. Okay, so I wanted to ask... Uh, Evangeline's name. Sure. Why did you name her that? I think it might have something to do with the topic of the episode, but sure. I'm not sure. So Yeah, so Evangeline means bearer of good news. And that was honestly a really cool like time for me to pray with the good news itself because I don't know, six months up to her birth we were expecting to name her Evangeline and the more I was pondering, okay, we're literally naming her the bearer of good news and thinking about the gospel message as good news. And as a what, first or second year missionary, as I'm praying through this and I'm like, do I really believe that the gospel is good news, that the death and resurrection of Jesus is something that is breaking news? Like people actually need to know this information and I need to be going with this sense of urgency to share it with people. It was kind of a gut check for me because I don't know, I think I have, I think we can all kind of drift in those times where we're going through the motions and we might not be as, convicted or laser focused on what's most important but um, her name means bearer of good news Evangeline and her middle name is Noel which is Christmas the birth of Christ so it's her name is you know bearing the good news of the birth of Christ in his life um, but then Pierce uh, his name we get from how Jesus's side was pierced when he was on the cross and so um, you know also how Simeon in Luke chapter 2 talks to Mary about how her heart will also be pierced with the sword um, so his name is, you know, kind of building on the Evangeline's the announcement of Jesus' coming, his life, and then Pierce, his death. And his middle name is Emmaus, which if you know Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he reveals himself first through um, through opening the scriptures to them, and their hearts are burning within them, and they want him to stay with them. And the two disciples go into the house, um, you know, Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. Same four verbs as the Last Supper. And with that, their eyes are opened, and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, which we would say is the Eucharist. Um, so just in Evangeline and Pierce's names, you have the announcement of Jesus' coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Kyria, her, um, it's the Greek word for lady, and <laughs> our our Blessed Mother was like very present throughout that entire pregnancy, and just her... Yeah, intercession for us, and um, yeah, her middle name is Malone, which means disciple of St. John, who is the one who took Mary into um, into her home, into his home. John took Mary into his home, and so <laughs> Kyria Malone, that's a very Marian name. And yeah. she was born on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, so that was pretty amazing, which I think was also very fitting because a year or so before... Um, we had Kyria, we actually had a miscarriage, and we named our baby Mark Ambrose. And 
yeah, I think Mary helped us through that process of um, the miscarriage and uh, just the, yeah, the hope, the reality of the resurrection and, yeah, God's power and ability to bring life in the places where there's most hurt. And, um, and I think that the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows is such a fitting occasion because it's, you know, such a, like, bittersweet thing. You know, it's Our Lady of Sorrows where she's pondering the wounds of Christ, and yet his death and resurrection is the greatest news and healing of <laughs> the whole universe. And so it's, yeah, I think that Our Lady of Sorrows is very, very present in our lives as well. Yeah. I love it when there's, like, actual meaning behind the names, and it's not just, oh, we got it out of a baby book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, actually, I don't know where Molly first found the name Evangeline. It, I will credit. Be, I don't know. I think almost, yeah, I would say almost every single one of our names, Molly was the first one that found the name, and then once we were like, what does it mean? And, oh, that's actually really cool. And so I have to definitely give credit to Molly, or she's the one that found it. Maybe it was on a baby list, and we looked a little bit more into it, but... Yes, as yeah. long as you look into it, and, and then you can claim, oh, it's because of this meaning. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what is the actual, like, church definition of mm. evangelization, and, like, where does it say that we're supposed to do it? Sure. Um, I think that one of, I don't know, I remember, I think it's from Evangelion Nuntiandi. There's some, um, it's an awesome, I think, encyclical, I forget what the appropriate name for that is right now, but... Evangelii Nuntiandi by Pope Paul VI. It's absolutely amazing, and it's a, you know all about evangelization. And there's certain lines that talk about evangelization as inviting the good news of Jesus Christ into every human situation, like every concrete situation, every person, every place, thing, everything. Um, inviting the yeah the good news of Christ, his the announcement of his life and his death and his resurrection, and that salvation is freely offered to all men and by the gift of his grace and mercy. And in every human situation, we need the gospel. He, yeah, the good news is all about, you know, the death and resurrection, how we become new creations through that. But the new creation isn't just limited to what he does in individual human beings, but it's how he's renewing humanity as a whole and how he's making a new creation of the whole universe and everything. I mean, he is the source of everything and the appropriate end of everything so we can invite the good news of God's love for, you know, each individual person, but also people as a whole and all of creation that God loves us all. God is love and we're all the fruit of his love. We're all oriented back towards him. Um, So I'd say like Evangelii Nuntiandu is like a really good starting point for that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So evangelization is basically just sharing Christ's story and how he wants to be part of your life. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of students get evangelization and apologetics confused. Mm. Um, So what would you say the difference is between those? I would say, I mean, you know, as we're talking about this, even I'm thinking about um, like the John chapter one, like Jesus in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And words communicate things. Right now, you and I are exchanging words with one another. <laughs> if we were just sitting in this room and we're just looking at each other, you know, there wouldn't be information communicated. And the words that we choose reveal what's inside kind of thing. So like when I'm sharing my words, I'm revealing to you aspects of myself. And yeah, God's word is what everything is made through. 
Um, so all of creation, everything kind of is God speaking to us in a sense. Um, but something that is really beautiful and unique to Christianity is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the word is actually a person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And that, yes, in Jesus's words, you know, that it reveals God, but also his actions, his, the things that he does. Um, when Jesus heals a paralytic, you know, he, yes, he says some words, but also just the very actions that Jesus does communicate to us something about the inner life of God that he desires to heal us, that he desires to bring us new life and um, has the ability and power to do so. And so I think in the same way with evangelization and apologetics, like maybe apologetics is a little bit more on like the words side of things, like having the right answer, being able to make an appropriate defense in the moment, very essential and necessary. And I think evangelization is like our participation in the work of the word, like our participation in the body of Christ, where by word and by deed, we are communicating the good news of Jesus Christ, that it, you can't have one without, well, it ought to have a healthy balance of both word and deed, because that's what Jesus modeled for us. That's like what the full revelation of God is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And that, that takes place through his words and his deeds. And so I think evangelization is the witness of our life, the the way, the deeds and actions of mercy that we do, along with the clear proclamation words of like actually communicating to people, there is a God that loves you. And he revealed himself by, you know, becoming flesh or taking on flesh and dying on a cross, raising from the dead, all that stuff that is very essential for real evangelization to take place. I think it's actually in the um, like Evangelion Nutiandi that talks about evangelization not really taking place if there's not actually an explicit proclamation of the name of Jesus and all he's done. Um, but also with that, that evangelization doesn't just end with, you know, initially accepting that message of saying like, okay, yeah, I believe that that's true. But evangelization is like that whole process of, do I accept it? Do I internalize it and really choose to adhere to it? And do I begin to participate in it myself? Like, do I not just believe the gospel, but do I become the gospel? Am I allowing the life of Christ to live in me to where I too now am by my words and deeds, living and sharing what I've received kind of thing. So that's more of evangelization and apologetics. I would say more so on the words side of things. Okay. So evangelization, you would say is more like living the word and imitating the word of Mm -hmm. Christ and then apologetics is maybe knowing the words and mm-hmm. knowing how to explain the faith. Yeah, and I, I mean because apologetics is so essential. I think it's somewhere at First Peter three fifteen, maybe where it's like always be ready to make a defense of the hope that we have or something like that. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure the original language like apologia or something is one of the <laughs> the words there that you find like for making a defense. And it's it's important. We have to if people ask us questions. We ought to know how to explain things appropriately. And if, yeah, as we're trying to communicate the message of Christ in a clear, articulate way, apologetics is very important. I think evangelization, yeah, is more of the process and the whole package of word and deed, witness of life, manner of our living, the along with the proclamation and explanation stuff. Yeah. So what would you say... Um 
How can students share the faith on campus? What's the balance between living the faith and then inviting others to live yes. it with us? Because Phenomenal question. A lot of us are super busy trying to live the faith and we get stuck in, I have to make sure I'm living it well and maybe don't, have t- don't think we have time to go out and invite others to it. Yeah. What do you think? I think the, in a nutshell, like this is from my own personal experience. When I was quote unquote living the faith, I was in a sense, hiding the faith. I would go to Mass and I wouldn't invite people to it. I would go and pray, you know, a holy hour, but I wasn't inviting anyone where I was going. I would read scripture and I wouldn't tell anybody what I was reading. And it's not like I had to, once I had this kind of missionary conversion in my heart of like, okay, I want to actually start inviting others into this relationship with Christ. It wasn't like, okay, I need to go into my room and get a big box that I can stand on and proclaim, you know, in the street corners or like I need to um, you know, rent out the nearest lecture hall to arrange for people to hear. In the, I mean, yes, that's awesome if God is calling you to do those things, but in the very ordinary circumstances of life, God provides a lot of opportunities. So say, you know, you're living at your faith, you go to pray a holy hour and you go to mass that day. Awesome. That is phenomenal. You are receiving and worshiping God in a beautiful way. Now, later on when you get home and your roommate or your friend says, hey, Grace, what'd you do today? Don't be like, oh, I did some homework and hung out with some friends. Say, yeah, I did some homework and then I went and I prayed a holy hour and I went to mass and this is what happened. What'd you do today? Like, it's just super, just tell people what you do. Don't hide the way that you're living your faith. When people ask you, what'd you do today? What what are you, what do you got going on later today? Tell them, I'm going to mass. I'm actually kind of excited because yesterday when I went to mass, this thing happened and yeah, I'm just really looking forward. Like I was praying with the readings today and I, yeah, I think God is putting this thing on my heart. I think this will be awesome. I'm excited to go to mass. Like crazy if your roommate who doesn't go to mass is like, man, you're actually, that's what you're looking forward to today. And I'm sure that, I mean, a lot of people probably listening to this or people that are trying to live their faith do look forward to living their faith. I mean, they, we don't necessarily always live our faith. uh, Well, people don't often always live their faith, you know, based on because they don't like it. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's actually this incredible joy that comes from being Catholic. And I'd say share the joy. Don't hide it. It's just like a practical thing. Don't hide what you're doing, but tell people about it. When they ask sort of those open-ended questions, what are you doing today? What are you looking forward to today? What do you got going on tomorrow? Tell them, tell them what you're doing. And it's a very easy thing to say, like, what are you doing today? I'm going to mass. Would you like to come? I mean, it's just a super, not a rocket science situation. And I was amazed at how easy it was. I mean, a lot of times people, we'd be playing like Mario Kart Double Dash. That's what we were just crushing back in the day. And, um, you know, I'd put down my controller because, you know, it's time for me to go to Mass. Like, Max, where are you going? And I was like, I'm going to Mass. Do you want to come? And sometimes they said no, but sometimes they said yes. And I had friends that, you know, hadn't been to Mass in years or hadn't been to confession in years that ended up going to confession with me. Well, not with me, but with the priest. But, you know, <laughs> we stood in line together, and it was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just amazing how simple it can be. So I say don't overwhelm yourself. Just tell people what you're doing as, like, a starting point. And then, like, to go more on offense a little bit like if there are people that you know like you want to share the gospel with you want to invite into the relationship and you know they're really selfish and they don't ever ask you about what you're doing or whatever (laughs) um 
I would say try to take the disposition of Jesus and I believe it's Luke chapter 2 when he's 12 years old and he's teaching in the temple. Um, he's sitting around all these teachers and he is listening to them and asking them questions and they're amazed at his understanding. And I think that there's something really beautiful about you taking initiative to ask your friends questions of, hey, what are you looking forward to today? What do you got going on? What's And as you ask them questions, as you take sincere interest in them, it will become pretty awkward if they don't ever reciprocate it. You know, they turn it back to you. What are you looking for today? Bam! Like, invitation! Great news! All that stuff. Yeah, and that's definitely, that's not just a setup. That's, like, actually caring about the person Absolutely. and having a relationship with them. Totally. Yeah, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm on, we're on the same page there. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. So I also feel that sometimes people get, I don't know, worried that maybe their friends think, oh, I'm just asking them to this stuff all the time. I'm getting annoying. Is there a limit to how much we should be asking people to things or not? <laughs> that's a, that's a, okay, it's a good question. I wonder if that's a phenomenal question, but I think you're asking the wrong person because like I am the eternal optimist and yeah, the, the no that people say, I'm like, it's their last no before their first yes. Like we've got them right where we want them. So <laughs> Uh, I am, I'm known for being a little bit persistent and asking a lot of times and, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny because, okay, speaking from personal experience, I rejected the focus missionary that reached out to me for a very long time. Like he texted me a lot to things and I didn't respond. Um, he, whenever I'd see him around, I honestly would kind of avoid him a little bit. Like I would kind of try and go on the other side of the room. Like I didn't want to be invited to things. And there was even a time he sort of like invited himself. He learned that I liked going to basketball games. And so he's like, oh, I have an end card, Max. Like I'll sit in the student section right where you you guys normally sit and I'll I'll be there. And it's like, oh, okay. And when I got there, I was there with my teammates and I see he was there early sitting at the spot where, you know, he knew that I sat. And I told my friends like, hey, let's not, let's not sit up there over there right now. And, And we went over to a different part of the stadium I watched this man, like, oh, he's pulling out his phone. I wonder who he's talking to. And I feel my phone buzzing. I'm like, oh, he's, just, he's looking for me. He's calling me. That's, uh, that's awkward. And, um, yeah, I didn't answer. I ignored him. I watched him stand alone at this game. And I, I'm pretty sure I eventually, like, lied to him, just texted him and said, oh, sorry, I had to go watch film. And huge, rude, mean rejection on my part. Like, I did not give him the time of day. He That was probably his 10th or 15th invitation to me. And it was the next day that he texted me and was like, hey, Max, sorry, the game didn't work out, uh, but I'm going to Chipotle today. Like, would you want to come grab lunch at Chipotle? I was like, man, this guy, like, yeah, I'll give him a chance. And, yeah, I went out to lunch with him, and he's an amazing man, very holy, very good friend. I mean, he ended up being a groomsman in my wedding, and God used him to change the trajectory of my life. And if he had given up because like, oh, I've already invited Max 10 times, like I probably shouldn't go that next invitation, then I would not be here. I would probably not be married. I would not have kids with the names of Angeline Pearson, Kyria. I mean, I would not be going to daily mass. There's so much about my life that is so completely different. And I honestly shudder to think about what my life would be like if he hadn't made that extra invitation. So I would say no matter how many invitations you make to a person, um, You'll never, I don't know, be extending yourself as much as Christ has extended himself to us. And so if you feel rejected and misunderstood and humiliated in the process, then that's probably a good thing because you're 
trying to conform yourself to somebody who died in a humiliating, painful, excruciating way. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, that's um, definitely part of evangelization because it's living the word. And if you Mm -hmm. live the word, you have to live like Christ. And just like you said, he was rejected. So I agree there is no limit. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, too, the that win phase when you're trying to, like, win somebody over for the first time, I heard once that that is one of the times where we can most clearly love like Christ because while we were sinners, he died for us. And, yeah, that little nugget helped me so much because I used to become pretty resentful if I would invite somebody to Bible study and they wouldn't show up. And I knew that they were just playing video games or something. And I'm like, okay, dude, you can... You could come, and I could make sarcastic comments in my head, or I'm like verbally attacking them in my mind, <laughs> like, "Oh, you should come to this! Like, don't you realize like how good this is for you?" And, um, but when I heard that, like, yeah, this is the time where we can most love like Christ because while we were sinners, He died for us. And I was like, okay, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I mean, what a gift to be rejected for the sake of the kingdom. So, yeah. Yeah. So as we come to a close here, are there any words of encouragement you have for the students on evangelization or like anything we talked about? Um, yes. I think that as we hear the expression like putting Jesus at the center of our life, I would say in a very concrete, tangible way, put the Eucharist at the center of your life. As Catholics, we believe that Jesus is really, truly present in the Eucharist. And yeah, if you want to be close to Jesus, be close to him in the Eucharist. Go to Mass every day, spend time with him in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And if you place Jesus at the center of your life, everything else I think really will fall into place in regards to where God is calling you in your vocation. Is he calling you to marriage or priesthood or religious life? Um, if you, yeah, the more you place yourself around the Eucharist, the more you're going to hear the word of God at, proclaimed at Mass, the more you're going to have time praying before and afterwards, the more you're friends you're going to meet that are also pursuing holiness because you're um, you know, participating in communal worship together. And I, what Jesus, what God has done through Christ is that he's reconciled humanity to God, but he's also reconciling humanity to one another. He's gathering together everyone who's scattered and divided by sin into the unity of his family, the church. And the more we participate in the sacraments and life of the church, the more we will be growing in that communion with God and one another. And lastly, this is probably my last point. This has been something like the the last year has been revolutionary for me. But the the disposition we have when we go to Mass, when we go to the sacraments. Um, one of my favorite picture books in the whole world is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. If you have the green edition, it actually has a some like pictures in it before each section. And before the section on the sacraments, there's the there's this old image from like the fifth century of the hemorrhaging woman reaching out and touching the cloak uh, or like the fringe of Jesus's garment, his cloak. And that's like the image for the sacraments. It's like, huh, why is that the image for the sacraments? And it's because there's three things present in that picture. There's the, um, the power that Jesus has to heal somebody. There's the faith that the woman has that Jesus can actually heal her. And then there's that garment, that little object that God uses to communicate his grace to the woman and that image is, how, it's a very sacramental image where God uses things like bread and wine and water and oil to communicate his grace to us, to communicate power. It literally scripture says power had gone forth from Jesus to heal the woman. And you know, Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's all these people around you. I mean, what is it? But it was the one who was like, 
touched him with the disposition of, I trust and believe that he can actually do something crazy in my life, that he can actually heal me and that he can do so. And when we approach God with that disposition, he actually can and will make changes in your life. And I think it's catechism paragraph 1131 talks about how the sacraments bear fruit in the lives of those who receive them with the required dispositions. It's almost implying if we don't go to the sacraments with the disposition of faith, we might just be like the people, the big crowd around Jesus who's touching him, but we're not receiving any of the grace that he has for us because we're not approaching it with the um, the disposition of, you know, God, I desire for you to convert my heart, help me to adhere to your will. Um, yeah, I think Catechism paragraph 1098 is also talks about the dispositions of reception of the sacraments. So not only go to the Eucharist every day, but ask God for the grace to have a receptive disposition and a disposition of when I come to Holy Communion, here are things that I'm struggling with. Here are things that I know that I need healing from you. And when I, like when the moment you touch my tongue, Lord, in Holy Communion, let it be like that moment of the woman reaching out and touching the cloak that power will go forth from him to receive and be transformed and live a different life. That's what I'd say. That is such a good image. (laughs) Such great. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on this episode. Thank you. God, this is so much fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow the podcast to get notified about new episodes and subscribe to the YouTube channel for exclusive video content, such as my guest tips for how to thrive as a Catholic in college. If you're interested in reading Evangelii Nunziandi, there's more details on that in the description below. Finally, remember that you're never alone in your faith. Until next episode, let's all keep striving to be open, be present, and be loved.